Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, so happy you're joining us today. I'd like to say hello to a few great friends. That's right off the bat here, our good friend out in Athol, Massachusetts. It's near Boston. Well, actually, it's about 75 miles northwest, so he tells me. His name is Buddy, and he calls me from time to time, and we chat. So, Buddy, I want to say hello to you, and thanks for your faithful listenership and being such a good friend of this host here, Father Tom Loya, myself, and Light of the East. And also our good friend Sonia out on the West Coast. So here we are, East to west, coast to coast. <laughs> We're saying hello and thank you. And to everybody in between, in particular, those of you who are serving prison, who are also some very faithful listeners of our program here, Light of the East. Hello to all of you. May God bless all of you. And as we say in the Byzantine Church, may God grant you many more years in peace, health, and long life. Speaking of peace and where there is no peace, we're going to pray for that. I want to begin today with a prayer for those who are suffering in war and in Christian persecution, many of which at the epicenter of all this, as I mentioned here before, there are Eastern Catholic churches, not exclusively, but they are very much at the epicenter of this. So we're going to pray for them. Please join me in prayer. Let us pray to the Lord. O God, our help and assistance, who are just and merciful and who hear the supplications of your people, look down upon us, miserable sinners, have mercy on us and deliver us from these troubles of war and religious persecution that beset us, for which we know we are deservedly suffering. We acknowledge and believe, O Lord, that all trials of this life are given by you for our chastisement and correction when we drift away from you and disobey your commandments. Deal not with us after our sins, but according to your bountiful mercies, for we are the work of your hands and you know our weakness. Grant, we beseech you, your divine helping grace, and endow us with patience and strength to endure our tribulations with complete submission to your will. You know our misery and suffering, and to you, our only hope and refuge, we flee for relief and comfort. Trusting in your infinite love and compassion, that in due time, when you know best, you will deliver us from this trouble, these wars and persecutions, and turn our distress into comfort when we shall rejoice in your mercy and exalt and praise your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. Well, thank you for praying with me and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in the Middle East, and in particular, the Eastern Catholic Churches, which, of course, is what this radio program is all about. It's really about the riches, the gifts of both lungs of the church, as St. John Paul II called the church, breathing with both lungs. But primarily, it's the riches of the Eastern Catholic Churches, how we can be an, an asset, enrich the whole church and also the world. 
In listening to world events and hearing these countries with all the turmoil from Ukraine and Russia to the Middle East, Iraq, Syria, one of the things that gets overlooked, of course, is that these were great Christian centers, uh, very ancient ones, in fact, such as in Iraq. That's the home of Jonah, you know, the Ninevite. goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Iraq is also the place of the Tigris-Euphrates River. You oftentimes hear that, but that was considered to be where the stage was or the setting for the, the story of the Garden of Paradise, the Garden of Eden in the Scripture. Many scholars believe it was referring to that area, the Tigris-Euphrates area. That's in Iraq. But some of the churches that are there, just so you understand, are familiar with them, from time to time we do mention them, they come from Syria, a Syriac tradition, which again is very unfortunate because all we hear about Syria is the war. and We don't even hear enough of that, of what the horror that's going on there. And yet, that was a birthplace of a lot of the Eastern rites, a lot of the Eastern liturgies. For example, from the Syriac tradition, you have the Assyrian Church of the East. And in that, you have the Chaldean Catholic Church, which is a very big church in Iraq. Many Iraqi Christians are Chaldean Catholics. There's also the Cyril Malabar Catholic Church, which was founded in India way back during the Apostle St. Thomas. And they love to talk about that, that they were founded by St. Thomas himself. And also then you have the Coptic Church, the Ethiopian, Syrian, Syro-Malankar, and Armenian churches. These churches all have their origins in Syria and the areas around there, Egypt, that unfortunately are so much a subject of horrible world events today. And unfortunately, that's sometimes the only way we know and associate those countries and those cultures. But they were great Christian centers, especially centers of the Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. At least that's how we know them today. Before, they just were called the churches of the East. There was a church of the West and a church of the East. That's how it started out. Like a marriage. You know, there was husband and wife, man and woman, but yet they're one. It was the same thing with the church. The church did not have all these different rights and jurisdictions at first. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, but it was much simpler. It was basically the church in the East, which had five centers, and then the church in the West, which eventually had one main center. That, of course, is Rome. But now today, you have a number of rights and jurisdictions within those rights, which, which is fine. But unfortunately, we do not know or hear near enough about that. So again, this Syria that we hear about today, there was an Eastern Syriac tradition and a Western Syriac tradition. Those were basically the two birthplaces, East and West Syria, where a lot of the Eastern spirituality, a lot of the Eastern liturgy that we know today and the rites we know today developed, along with Egypt. Egypt, of course, is what Coptic really means. It means Egyptian. The Coptic Christians from there was spawned Eastern monasticism. And from Eastern monasticism came monasticism in the West with St. Benedict. From St. Benedict and early monasticism in the West came what we know as religious orders and everything developing from that that we know today. But these are the great centers, East, Syria, West Syria, and Egypt. Now, in the other Eastern churches, such as those that follow the Byzantine church, is a little bit different. Again, they had their influence from Syria because we have to remember, it's kind of obvious, common sense. Where did Christianity start? Christianity started in the area of the Holy Lands. And right near the Holy Lands, right in that vicinity, of course, is Syria. So it would make sense that the liturgies, the styles of worship, and the spirituality was first developed and laid down in that region, and then it spread from there. And it influenced the Byzantine Church. In fact, the Byzantine Church and the Syriac traditions both learned, borrowed from each other, but they went in their own directions still as Eastern churches. The Byzantine church developed its own spirituality, its own liturgy. Again, Eastern, 
And then the other churches developed along the lines of their Syriac origins, their origins in Syria. The Byzantine church was called that because it found its origins when Constantine, the Roman emperor, moved the center of the Roman empire from Rome to Byzantium. Byzantium was on the Bosphorus, there on the Black Sea, in what is now today modern-day Turkey. And he was very impressed with that city. He was impressed with their style. They loved the color and things that were elaborate. He loved the way they did things. He was impressed with that city. And indeed, it's a very impressive city even today, and a very crucial one because it's a gateway really to Asia. You can go across that Black Sea and you're into Russia and then on to China and the whole Far East. So it was a real gateway, a very strategic city. And when Constantine moved his center of his empire there, he eventually became Christian and then legalized Christianity. And what then followed was a magnificent Christian culture, which boasts of the great, maybe the greatest church ever wrought by the hand of man, the greatest Christian church, and that is Hagia Sophia, which means Holy Wisdom. We'll be visiting Holy Wisdom, Hagia Sophia, during my trip in October, which, by the way, you can still get in on the Oriental Illumin trip. Just go to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com. And you can get in on our trip to Rome and Istanbul. It's a great time to go. It's going to be a great trip. A lot of great people. A lot of interesting things are going to go on there. Special things. Things you won't experience anywhere else. So go to vikingtvl.com. That's the Viking travel company that I'm going through. Jack Fiegel, our good friend here at Light of the East, and I are heading up this trip. It's an Orientabi Lumen conference trip. In other words, Light of the East trip. So very appropriate. See how it all comes together. So consider that trip. It's Tuesday, October 21st through Thursday, October 30th. Again, Tuesday, October 21st through Thursday, October 30th. They can still get in on this trip, but you better hurry up. Places are going fast. Go to vikingtvl.com, vikingtvl.com. October 21st to the 30th in Rome and Istanbul. Go to vikingtvl.com, vikingtvl.com. In addition to the churches I mentioned that you don't hear enough about on the news, I mean, you hear a little bit that you see, there's a report, oh, a, a church was attacked and so on. But usually this means it's an Eastern Catholic church. Not exclusively, most of the time it means that. So it's going to be the Syrian churches and especially the Chaldean churches that are being viciously attacked. But there's other churches too in this region. And in fact, one of them you might hear once in a great while it's called the Eritrean Church. And once again, I'm going to call upon our great resource, the Eastern Christian Church, as a brief survey by Father Ronald Roberson. It tells a little bit about the Eritrean Orthodox Church. It's located along the southwest coast of the Red Sea. It was the site of the ancient Christian kingdom of Aksum. It began to decline in the 7th century in the wake of Muslim invasions, and a new Ethiopian kingdom was subsequently established in the interior. The region retained a certain independence until it fell under Ottoman rule in the 16th century. Eritrea was an Italian colony, actually, from 1890 to 1941, when it was captured by the British. It entered a federation with Ethiopia in 1952 and was annexed as an Ethiopian province in 1962. A lengthy struggle for self-rule culminated with the country's Declaration of Independence on May 24, 1993. Now, when we get back, what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue reading again about this interesting-sounding church, the Eritrean church, one that's very little known. If I think the other ones aren't as well known, this one's really not well known. And yet it is still one of the many Eastern churches of the church that breathes with two lungs, east and west. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loy, and I would like you to join me on the Oriental Illumined Pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs east and west. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires, and you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the Church the same way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed, unity in the church between East and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime, the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces, reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th, sponsors Oriental Lumen Foundation and Viking Travel. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. 60491 and may God grant you Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya again, inviting you to get on board my trip to Rome and Istanbul together with Jack Fiegel. We're working through Viking Travel a well-known travel agency, just go to vikingtvl.com, vikingtvl.com. And the trip is Tuesday, October 21st through October 30th, Thursday. Marvelous trip. Going to see and experience a lot of things you won't experience any other way. So get on to this Oriental Lumen trip, which also means, of course, light of the East, like our program. Now, a little bit more about this interesting-sounding church, the Eritrean church. In July of 1983, the bishops of the country, with the support of the government, appealed to Pope Shenouda III of the Coptic Orthodox Church. Notice how the Coptics have a pope, too. They appealed to him to obtain separating from the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and autocephalous status. On September 28, 1993, the Coptic Holy Synod responded favorably to this request and authorized the training of as many as 10 future bishops for the Eritrean Church in Coptic monasteries. On June 19, 1994, Pope Shenouda ordained five of these new bishops in Cairo. 
The process of the establishment of an independent Eritrean Orthodox Church took place in accord with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. In early 1993, Patriarch Paulus and Archbishop Philippos, the ranking bishop in Eritrea, sanctioned the separation of their churches while stating their desire to work closely together. In February 1994, an agreement was signed in Addis Ababa that reaffirmed the autocephalous status of both the Ethiopian and Eritrean churches and recognized the primacy of honor of the Coptic Church among the Oriental churches in Africa. After intensive discussions among government and church leaders in April of 1998, Abba Filippos, the Bishop of Azamara, was chosen as the first patriarch of the Eritrean Orthodox Church. He was ordained patriarch by Coptic Pope Shenouda III in Cairo on May 8, 1998. Now, a protocol between the Holy Synods of the Eritrean and Coptic churches was also signed. It provided for close cooperation between the two churches including the holding of a common general synod at least every three years for the commemoration of the heads of both churches in all liturgies. The formation of a common delegation in theological dialogues with other churches and the establishment of a standing committee of the two synods to promote cooperation in such areas as theological education, social services, and development projects. The Eritrean Orthodox Church has approximately 1,500 churches, 22 monasteries, and 15,000 priests. The Eritrean Orthodox Church in Great Britain is represented by Bishop Marcos, Secretary of the Holy Synod. Bishop Makarios is an ethnic Eritrean and a member of the Coptic Holy Synod, is responsible for Eritrean Orthodox faithful in the United States. So again, this is a church developed in Africa. And you'll notice something here, and those of you especially who are the Latin rite, you're used to dealing in and experiencing things in a much larger scale, much more unified, much more monolithic scale. That is part of the genius of Rome, part of the genius of the West, a genius that the East, quite frankly, can use a little bit of, or maybe a lot of. But it's not our character, although we do need it, just like man and woman. It's not a woman's character to be a man, but she does need some aspects of a man, certainly needs a man's influence and connections, and vice versa. It's not in a man's character to be like a woman, but he does need certain things from a woman. You know, he needs to have a certain so-called feminine side develop and so on. Well, it's the same thing in the church. Now, in the West, you have a very monolithic kind of structure, very visible, singular head. And basically, the Roman Catholic Church is associated primarily, almost entirely in most areas, with the Latin Rite. But it is still just the Latin Rite. When we say Roman Catholic Church, that's more of an inclusive statement. It means really to include all of the churches in union with the, and in full communion with the Pope of Rome, which would include the many Eastern churches. So when we say Roman Catholic Church, that would actually be an umbrella term. And you, if you're Roman Catholic or Latin Rite, would be most correct or specific by referring to yourself as a Latin Rite, just like I am Byzantine Rite, but part of the whole Catholic Church in union with the Pope of Rome. And so the different churches complete each other, just like as man and woman do. They need something from each other, but yet without losing their own respective identity. So if you notice, when I read a little bit of history of these Eastern churches, for instance, just this one I just read about the Eritrean church, and you know that many of these churches also started from the Syrian tradition and developed several churches from that. You notice that in the East, the characteristic of the East, and we're seeing this today, and we're seeing it very much in global events, this actually explains a lot of things. The mentality, the temperament, the soul of the East. It works in much smaller local kinds of levels, both in the church and out of the church. That's one of the reasons why you see so much fighting in the Middle East, because the nature, the character of the Eastern mind, the Eastern soul, isn't monolithic. 
never really was. I don't know if it ever can be. It tends to work in close-knit circles, closely-knit units that have no problem breaking from each other if they get mad or whatever differences they have and becoming another separate, closely-knit, intimate unit. <laughs> and it keeps on going from there. It almost reminds you sometimes of the theory of the splitting of the atom. <laughs> these little organizations, these little pieces that keep splitting from each other. That is the history. For better or for worse, that's the history of the East, both in culture and in the church. And so one of the reasons why it's good to understand the various rights and diversities of the church, and by diversities I mean the various rights of the church, not just ethnic diversity, because it also helps us to understand world events and how to deal with world events. In other words, how to understand each other's mind, because that is the big friction today. It's the friction between the East and the West in the church, and it's the friction between the East and the West in terms of this, what we see today is the so-called war on terrorism. It's a clash of worldviews, which are not supposed to clash. They're supposed to be complementary in the church and outside the church. Again, just like male and female. This is why it's good to have a radio program like this in which we look at each other's riches and how we are different, how we are complementary, that how it's supposed to work to the good, but how also it can be problematic because of our fallen nature both globally in the civil sphere and also in the church. So the East and the West, when it comes to ecumenical dialogue, a lot of the difficulty, when you really look at it, take, for instance, the issue of the filioque or even the monophysite heresy, that heresy that had to do with the natures of Christ, both God and man. The differences that occur among churches within the East themselves, sometimes they fight within themselves, and between the East and the West, a lot of it can be understood, its origins and how to heal it, to solve it, by understanding deeply where each other is coming from and not to blame or say the other one is wrong. I think that's a big problem in ecumenism today, or ha has been until today, it's getting better, that we tend to look at each other and say, well, if you use this word, it means this to us, and therefore you're wrong. But the other side uses that word, and it means something a little bit different to them. And usually this difference has to do with a nuance. For example, when you come to the creed, the so-called filioque, where it says the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, in the East we just say proceeds from the Father, the word procession, proceed, how that's understood is where a big part of the difference is. And whenever East and West then point a finger at each other, as they did historically, and say, well, you're wrong or you're a heretic, I think this is what is problematic. The starting point should be, okay, how do you, from your mindset, your Eastern mindset, understand this concept or this word? How do you, from the Western perspective, the Western mind, understand this particular concept or this particular word? In fact, this happened recently in a positive direction. Recently, the so-called Oriental churches or non-Chalcedonian churches, they called that because they didn't accept the findings, the doctrine of the Council of Chalcedon, which again established that Jesus Christ was both equally two natures, God and man, but yet one person. Two natures, yet one person. The natures were distinct, never confused, always remained distinct, fully human, fully God, yet one person. So that was what the monophysite heresy was about, other heresies as well. Well, what happened was those churches who didn't accept that were called monophysites. Well, they didn't really appreciate that. And in recent years, in fact, in our lifetime, Imagine, this is going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, this, this disruption, this 
chasm within the Eastern churches themselves. They came to an agreement that what they meant, and they agreed especially between each other, between the Catholic side and the Orthodox side, that what they meant in terms of how they articulate Jesus Christ as having two natures, yet being one person, that what they meant was in fact not something heretical after all. It's just how they understood or were using the terminology. Now, imagine, it took hundreds of years to come to that. Hundreds of years of division and excommunicating each other and being out of communion with each other. Hundreds of years. But it came down to just sitting down and trying to really understand how one side understands a word. You know, words are full of nuance, especially when it comes to words of theology and philosophy. And they really, really have to be understood. You have to understand how each other understands these words and these concepts and how they express them, how they experience them. They experience them differently, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. If a woman and a man go see the same movie, the man's going to experience it differently. It's going to have a different perspective than the woman's and vice versa. Each one is legitimate. Each one isn't wrong. They just had a particular emphasis or particular experience of that one same film. And that's beautiful. That's fine. And that's how the church is. Complementary, diverse, yet one and in harmony. Or so it once was, and hopefully it will be again. And that is part of the mission of this program, Light of the East, and why I'm glad you're listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening to and supporting Light of the East. Coming soon, you'll be able to hear the latest programs from Light of the East and past podcasts on TaborLife.com. Now, we'll keep you posted on our progress. And once again, thank you for listening to Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>